0: what could well be a record-breaking day for heat in the UK, it is the Wednesday's Child Podcast again. So, you know, against that backdrop of sweltering and sweating, sweating and all those other unavoidable things in this extreme heat, we are here for your listening pleasure. It's Sarah and Debbie again, just going to give you some insights and lived experience about eating disorders as we always do. And this time we are again delving into the postbag to pick on something that was dropped to us in the last couple of weeks talking about can you please 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 talk about this because it'd be really helpful in my recovery progress and we really like to do podcast episodes on a theme like that because it feels like you're listening (laughs) we're not just talking to a brick wall so we welcome those contributions so if you get to the end of this and say that was really helpful but actually next time can you talk about this please be just like this particular person was who I'm not going to name but I hope you know who you are We'll just be like her and, and send us that email that says, talk about this. So before we get on to that, hi, Sarah, how's the heat up there?
1: I think we're a few degrees below you, but we're still absolutely sweltering. If anyone's watching this on the YouTube channel, you'll tell because I'm dead shiny. Have you seen that? I'm really
0: shiny too. <laughs> I'm really shiny. And, and I said to someone yesterday, actually, because they said, oh, Debbie, you look kind of glowing. And I said, do you know what? I think it's, was it Sunday? I was outside more than perhaps I'd intended to be, but it wasn't actually brilliant blue sky sunshine here, which is really quite cloudy, but warm. And then I wake up the next morning, and I thought, oh, my God, I look like I've had a brush with a fake tan that's just got a bit excessive. So, when, you know, I'd kind of gone to bed one day feeling rather pale and woken up completely different colour. So there we oh, go. I see.
1: Hey, and apparently anyone, if, if you are listening, I'll be too late. But anyway, the Showcase Cinema are doing free cinema for anyone who's ginger yesterday and today wow so so I could have got myself a free movie who knew
0: so is it ever worth dyeing your hair ginger just so you get a free movie oh
1: you'd need proof you'd need all the freckles the to go with it you know the the hair is not just I, can do, I can do the
0: freckles. do you know what I'm gonna have to have to go on deviate I was reading an article the other day about apparently it's a trendy thing to get like um freckle tattoos
1: fake freckles yeah 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 what's that all about I know. For the first time ever in my entire life, I'm fashionable. Wow! Yeah,
0: (laughs) I did remember trying to scrub mine off, kind of quite a bit as a child. And now I just, now I get disappointed if they don't come out as much in the summer when I think they should. Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah. Oh well. Height of fashion, aren't we, Sarah? Height of fashion. (laughs) Says, says both of us sat here in whatever clothes make us just feel slightly cooler on this. Exactly.
1: And my my 95 Primark flip flops.
0: (laughs) Oh, amazing! That's what Primark's for. Okay, we're, we're we're clearly not Birkenstock girls, are we? No,
1: not at all. <laughs> uh,
0: okay, so theme for today. So we we had this just brilliant um, message into the post bag after our last episode, and um, this person was saying, just give me some help with keeping going, keeping the motivation happening with eating disorder recovery, in particular when you are living with or influenced by people whose way of life is so diet centric, or. You know maybe because they live with you and they fill the fridge with all low fat this, low sugar this, diet this, or they just talk incessantly about, oh, must do this, must go on exercise, must avoid that. And I can see that for somebody who thinks they've already started to make some inroads into recovery, or actually even somebody who just really has every good intention of recovering, being surrounded by that dialogue, but not not just the things that people say, but their actions and and just you know the, the behaviors that are around you all that time really does make it Difficult to shift the mindset, doesn't it? And I can remember in particular coming out of treatment and coming back home and thinking, oh God, you know, now I look in the fridge and I see, and I know we touched on this a bit last time, you'd be about you and your bullshit milk and somebody had bought the milk that you didn't like, you know, the skim milk or something because you couldn't get any other or whatever. It It is that kind of moment where you look around and think, actually, generally, society has made us feel ashamed to have full fat this and. You know, to have the stuff that actually we know that in recovery is vital for us to get full return to health. So just I wondered whether we can explore that and just say for this particular person and for all those of you who I'm sure are going through it, whether you've got flatmates you live with, partners you live with, whether it's your family, your siblings, your parents. What can you say? What should you say? Or do we have to argue it's your own race? pull your big girl's pants up and just say, don't say anything, don't do anything, but play your own game. What would you say, Sarah? Is it just about sitting in your own lane?
1: I think this is one of the hardest parts of a certain point of recovery, to be honest, because up until this point, you've been probably on a a meal plan, you've had things quite kind of worked out for you, or you may be, like you said, you might have been in services or under support. So I think this is one of those big shifts where you start to have to learn recovery independently and I think that's what makes it really challenging to start off with so I, I think I would like to sit anyone in this position that it is okay if you're in a complete nut head spin around this at the minute because this is this is the real hard graft we're talking about now I'm not belittling the process up until this point but when you start to have to be independent with it that's when because nobody else there's nobody else there
0: yeah
1: um I suppose I was fortunate, wasn't I? Because I looked, I took control of my kitchen because I was the matriarch of my household. You know, I was the head of my own household. So I know I've had some comments in the past by saying, you know, it must have been easier for you, Sarah, because like you, I talk about, you know, how I ditched the bullshit food and I literally just emptied my fridge and I took it to the food bank. And um, and I, I do see that that was potentially easier for me because... I had control of my own kitchen so if you're living with a group of people like in a flatmate or a house share or you're still living with parents I can totally understand how that is a trickier thing to be able to banish altogether because you're not necessarily the only person in that house and you're also probably not the person who's in charge of the food it is is it a stain in your own lane I suppose it is a stain in your own lane isn't it because you've got to be thinking about your own journey and your own priorities but I often think about it of like remember when you were entrenched in your illness, Debbie, like I was. And I remember, I remember quite clearly, like everybody else in a room would be saying to me, no, no, don't go running today, Sarah, it's raining. But I would go running Yeah. or they'd say, no, no, Sarah, don't don't eat that one tiny half a Weetabix, have this, whatever, but I would have my half a Weetabix. It's the exact same mentality, but the other way around. So when everyone else is saying, no, I'm gonna have a low fat yogurt, you go and have the high fat one anyway we used to go against things when we were poorly and surely it's the same kind of mindset to go against things. Now we're supposed to be in recovery.
0: I think you're exactly right. I think the very skill set that some people think that they are deploying by managing to keep their eating disorder fueled. So the stubbornness, the dogged determination, the rigid kind of denial of anything else, anybody, (laughs) excuse me, anybody, anything, anybody else says, I think all those qualities traits whatever you want to call them are the very things that you then need to deploy to keep on the right path with your recovery so the stubbornness got you into where you are with your eating disorder behavior you know the stubbornness to refuse to accept that actually genuinely you were, were hungry and the stubbornness with which you decided you were going to go out running in the rain even when it was inappropriate and you were too poorly to do so that stubbornness flipped the other way should be deployed in I'm going to be bloody stubborn here and I don't care what around me is being eaten or served or put in the fridge I will buy what is necessary for my welfare and my well-being and I would hope that for the vast majority of us who have been through treatment there will be a point at which most of us say if I look in that rearview mirror it is so frightening at the prospect of ever returning to that dark, dismal place again. I must do whatever is necessary to make sure that stays behind me and doesn't go, you know, I do not become part of that revolving door process.
1: The, and the, the food and the behaviour shifting, that's the medicine, isn't it? So if someone could put that in a tablet form or in a, a, a UV, UV drip, IV drip even, <laughs>
0: You be know, drip.
1: and in that dripping in that tablet was like some sort of magic to get rid of the behaviors in your head and some sort of magic to nutritionally rehabilitate you you would quite happily get up on the morning and take that tablet like you would yeah. with any other illness you know you would just take it you would get yeah, the doctors told me i would to take these four times a day bank you take them and lo and behold you'd be recovered in six months a year whatever um that's the mindset that i definitely had to get myself into about the food and the behavior remodification that that that's the medicine it's just that we happen to have a an illness where that's like torturously challenging and torturously hard
0: (laughs) I've said to you before on different episodes that we've done I genuinely believe that so many people that have had a history of an eating disorder if you could say to them take this overnight you know wave this wand overnight and you would wake up recovered from your illness I genuinely think people would do it. I don't think it's that people so much want to not be well again. It's that, that scary journey of going from this horrendous illness that I'm in at the minute and then watching my body change, watching people react to me, dealing with whether I'm happy with that, those changes, getting used to a different appearance in the mirror. It's those parts that we have to travel through with this illness that makes it something that we're just not prepared to do. So we sit in this ugly world, stuck in the entrenched illness, even though we could still accept that there's a better world over there. Not only will we look and feel better, but we'll be living a happier life, a more sociable life, we'll have more opportunities, we'll have a stronger, brighter, sustainable future. All those things seem right. It's just the journey in between that people find so difficult. And that includes denying all this narrative that exists in society about diet this and diet that and it means calling out our behaviors when we want to go for a run at three in the morning when it's pouring with rain or whatever that ludicrous stuff is and having those arguments not only with others but with ourselves that's the work that we find so difficult to do so yes as you say replace that with a magic pill I genuinely believe a huge number of people would just say I've got it I'm doing it because that's my way of having a baby getting married getting the job I want you know being able to have sex with my wife again, um, you know, going around the world, all those things happen when we get recovery, but we're frightened of the extent of the journey.
1: So in in, in practical toolkit things then, because we like we like to give people a good old toolkit, don't we? So you're you're at that stage of recovery and you are finding that the folks around you are talking a lot about diet culture and your fridge since we start to get full of bullshit food and it's going against everything that you're trying to do what what's our practical ideas to get people started to get people over that initial hump
0: I think doing what you did was great so if you have the opportunity to do it is to do a, a, a cupboard sanitizing job is basically kind of an overhaul and just say this crap that's in my fridge and my cupboard at the minute the longer it sits there it's still going to be the thing I retreat to So all those low fat, this low sugar, this alternatives to that. I think you've got to be really honest with yourself and just look at everything and say, do I actually really like that? No, no, no. I'm just doing it because it's part of that diet behavior. As you say, much easier to do when you own your own kitchen and maybe that you're not sharing the house or you're certainly the matriarch. I think if you share the house, I would argue it's worth saying you know well actually I would argue it both ways you could just go about your own business and say I'm standing my own name don't even need to have a conversation with anybody else in the house I am just whether they're flatmates whether they're family members you could just say if you want to do your bullshit low-fat yogurt you do that but I'm going to put in the fridge what I need for me perhaps we're getting into trickier more challenging territory when you're a child or you don't have access to your own money to go and purchase those things, that's where the conversations need to happen. So if you are a young adult living back at home with family and you genuinely cannot go and shop for yourself, there is no no real choice other than to have that conversation that is, I can't can't subscribe to the same diet methodology that goes on in this household. I want recovery. I'm sure you want recovery for me. The way I need to do that is to have on my shopping list on a regular basis these things and these are and I love this word non-negotiables we all need the non-negotiables in our recovery whatever that may be and I think what were some of yours
1: what were some of your non-negotiables oh I have a couple
0: Oh, go on. Well, what was specifically food related or behaviour?
1: Oh, god! If we go on behaviour, it would be this podcast would be very long. Actually, that's maybe a good episode. Actually, the non-negotiables from a behaviour point of view. Non-negotiables from a food point of view. For me, well, just the basics. The app. If I got the basics right, I used to say to myself, if you can build a sandwich that's non-bullshit, then you've got the basics right. So you like the basic components of food. So I kind of went back to the sort of things that maybe you had when you were little. So my non-negotiables. it had to be white bread. It had to be white sliced bread because all of my bullshit had told me that that was like the worst devil food. So white bread was an absolute non-negotiable for me. Potatoes were a non-negotiable for me. Tinned soup, I know that sounds really weird, but I would spend ages like, boiling up vegetables in order to make that perfect soup so now just cheap 45p Tesco's on tin soup that was a non-negotiable tins of beans again because if you can have a white slice of bread and you can have some butter and you can have a tin of beans you've got yourself a lunch that takes like minutes so i I made my non-negotiables things that just everybody in their right mind would eat. And I wasn't in my right mind, so I went to the place. So you know, I, I kind of went back to what I was eating when I was a lot younger. Really, I think.
0: Yeah, I would say nursery foods became my thing, to it. and I would say just like I mean, you talk about white bread, but for me it was white goods. Kind of, you know, whites of everything. So white bread, white pasta, white crackers, white biscuits, white what you know, yeah, whatever yeah. it was, and stopping the overthinking that you know. You know, uh, initially I couldn't do the shopping myself, and found that too scary. But then, as soon as I was able to do it, it was kind of just reforming my process of never walking down an aisle and spending two, like, there was almost like I needed to start the clock of going around a supermarket. I don't know about you, but at a point in kind of real entrenched behavior, I could have spent hours oh, I used to. just yeah. walking up and down the aisles. Yeah. And, you know, if ever you would had like a tracking device on you, you know, like where have you ever seen one of those programs where they track how people use a house and what rooms of the house they use and they kind of heat map it? And you find that most people spend most of their time in the kitchen or whatever. And I think if someone had ever heat mapped me around the supermarket, the amount of time I would just walk up and down aisles. That and you think, what? Well, how many aisles does an average supermarket got? Like thirty. And you know, there's me going, oh yeah, well I can buy four items from these two aisles, you know, and that's it. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. So, so kind of reconditioning myself on those things was really, really important, and keeping to strict times to say, nope, that's a lot. Bang, 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 doing this going to get out yeah similar to where we've talked about when you go out to eat or certainly when you did when you were newly out services there wasn't it, you weren't going to allow for any discussion about shall I have this shall I have that and what if they say I can't have this and what if they haven't got that it was James bloody order me this or yeah. cheese on toast you know yeah. kind of tuna
1: sandwich come on tuna sandwich. <laughs>
0: <laughs> sorry tuna sandwich
1: I think it's also if you could if so if, if you can Take a visit, all your bullshit tin goods and what have you, to the food bank, and you know, give your frozen food to your next door neighbour or whatever it is, because you know, I know a lot of people don't like waste, and and ban the bullshit from the house. If you can't do that, then yeah, either stay in your lane and be on it, or speak to people and say these these things here, these things on this shelf in this cupboard are not helping me whatsoever. Please help me get better. Please help me get well. And if it's your mum and dad, and they're saying, oh yeah, but I I like my low fat you're gonna to have to have a frank conversation with them about well look I'm in recovery here if you yeah. keep this stuff in the house and I'm asking you I'm begging you to help me that you know there's very few parents out there that wouldn't do that Um, I'd also have a look at things like that you've got stored on your um, media box on your tv or be it sky or virgin media or whatever because I used to have program after program after program about you know eating well for less and you are what you eat and drop 25 dress sizes in a day do you remember the, oh, the super skinny one what oh. it, uh, was it super size? yeah,
0: yeah oh, it was, what was, it was that? Yeah. oh that program is just it was just so wrong in so many ways yeah
1: yeah but mm. get any rid of anything that was to do with health fitness well-being even um your browser history on your internet and your i'm, I'm talking about things i don't know here but like you know when if you put like YouTube on, it might come up with exercise workout videos. If yeah. you are got to hit workouts at home, get rid of all your cash data, I think it's called. It's kind of
0: based on your likes, isn't it? You know. Yeah, yeah, things yeah. Things. yeah, yeah. And, yeah. It, and equally your social media. I mean, you know, where do we start on that? But you know yourself, what you've got into the habit of browsing. and This is where I always hit on difficult territory because I want you to continue to look at Wednesday's Child social media and I want you to keep listening to the Wednesday's Child podcast. But you know yourself whether you are incessantly, incessantly absorbing eating disorder-related social media content because it fuels your belief in some kind of misguided way that actually you're getting well by observing that material or listening to these episodes, but actually you've got no desire to do the doing. And, you know, you're all welcome here as listeners, but actually the people that we want listening to this are the people that say, I'm taking on board what you say it resonates with me and I want to be well I'd rather have a thousand less listeners but no the ones that are listening are really gleaning what we're saying here and trying to make their lives better rather than saying it's okay mum because I listened to that podcast and it tells me all I need to know exactly you know an astrophysicist kind of wannabe can listen to podcasts but if they're not learning and going to university and doing all the study that's necessary or it ain't oh, going to happen. So, exactly.
1: I, I'm going to see Brian Cox in Brighton in a couple of weeks, and that's not going to make me suddenly be able to get a doctorate in physics and go to in the world, you know? Oh, just i just want to watch you. I don't know.
0: This woman's a determined woman. Just <laughs> give her a year.
1: Oh, not astrophysics. I'm <laughs> learning golf, but that's another that's wow. another story. Oh, okay. I'll you. Um, but I think, I, actually, as an aside, that's one of the skills that you can get from going through the recovery journey is that knowing – learning what a process is and not getting frustrated when you have to have things done immediately so I was one of those people that like if I couldn't do something immediately I gave up
0: yeah but actually
1: my recovery journey and and having these challenging conversations with people about how their behaviors are hindering my recovery and having I've really challenging conversations with myself and getting angry with myself has actually given me and taught me how to play that infinite game how to take my time how to know that things are not going to be able to be done immediately and then I might not be an expert for a year two years five years ten years but if I keep going at some point things will start to click and some point things will start to to get stronger so I'm actually one of the things I'm well I'm thankful for recovery from a lot of things but one of them is actually that it has taught me about that the process is just as important as the outcome Yeah, and that's super important for recovery, I think.
0: And and I wonder whether some of those things that we're talking about here are almost like your kind of journal mantras type things that it's really helpful to have written down because I I know for me at kind of darker times it was almost useful before before I got out of bed in the morning put my feet on the carpet and before I went to bed kind of having those. 10 things that I needed to repeat even just like without saying them out loud repeat them in my mind just to give myself a reason to remember actually I'm going straight downstairs and I'm going to make breakfast or you know I'm closing my eyes tonight and I'm proud that I have done this that and the other and little things you know that going back to what you just said there it's things like saying doesn't have to be perfect so you know I made that sandwich today and it was a bit of a shitty sandwich and it wasn't great but I still ate it even though it didn't taste perfect whereas five years ago, perhaps I would have gone into a cafe and if they'd made me a sandwich that was anything less than perfect, I'd have said, well, you see, yes, see, they served me that imperfect sandwich and I'm going to waste it. And and I think it's, it's those little things like, you know, I'm building forward. Um, I accept that life isn't perfect. I know that this is worth the pain, all those kind of things that just to remind yourself on a daily basis, you really got to, you've You've got. I mean, what is it? Is it about thirty days? They say any kind of ritual habit routine can kind of shift your life thinking, can't it? it? It kind of happens quite quickly if you repeat it. And I, I think the things we say to ourselves and the things we do on a regular basis enable us to achieve anything within reason.
1: So yeah, I'm I, I was never a big one for huge targets and goals. I tried that at one point in my recovery, and it just it just created a crazy relapse. So I just told myself that my habit was. To be the kind of person that, so I'm going to be the kind of person that can sit still when it's sunny. I can be the kind of person that doesn't have to go on a four mile walk with the dogs. I can sit on a bench and watch them run, and kind of build really little tiny habits by just being the person that. Yeah, yeah,
0: it makes a lot of sense, and I suppose for you there was maybe I you know have to tell me if you think this did play a part. Perhaps also being a mother. At the time you were in recovery, perhaps just an extra little motivation to say, "I've got a little person as well in my life." One, you know, watching and witnessing how my recovery is going.
1: Yeah, and as Amy got older, obviously she was starting to watch and witness things and starting to take them in a bit more. Um, but I've always said, haven't I, that I my real recovery started the minute that my therapist convinced me that I was recovering for me. Mm-hmm. And once I recovered, started to recover for me, I started to recover, and then everyone else got the benefits of that when I was trying to recover for the job for the lifestyle for the husband for the daughter it wasn't it wasn't about recovery it was about again something else on the peripherals so once I was convinced that I had I was worthy of recovery and I had to do it for me that's when I got angry and that's when things changed
0: and an angry Sarah is no good Sarah no
1: no she's not she was angry yesterday because she was hot (laughs) (laughs)
0: hot and bothered and And hangry and And hangry hangry,
1: yeah Uh, hot bothered and hangry (laughs) gosh
0: well I hope that's been really helpful in particular for the person that wrote in and asked us for some kind of tips and motivations on keeping going um but also for others of you that are in that place and just before we wrap there's just something that sits really well with this conversation and it's the question about when somebody says to you do you think it's ever possible to recover? And, you know, your own perhaps internalized belief or whatever you might have read someone else say about whether you can fully recover from an eating disorder. I think everything we've just said there goes towards our belief, our genuine belief that recovery is possible. And so I think something that we both feel very strongly about to share with you today is that if you are hearing it, be it from a friend, a frustrated parent, your you know, kind of loyal but deeply anxious spouse or from a healthcare professional saying to you well ultimately statistically it's really difficult to recover I just want to say to you it is possible because there's two people on this podcast who are saying to you we lead recovered lives so how could you not believe that to be the case and I I know that's kind of something that you feel really strongly about too isn't it Sarah I mean you work a lot in the teaching area and you see young people all the time and you know the analogy that you would say to a child, well, you're never going to get grade C because it's not possible for a child like you that comes from that state, living in that county, in that town, whatever. So why is that child going to do the hard homework, put the hard graft in, turn up for lessons? Why are you going to bother? And it's exactly that same way for committing to eating disorder recovery.
1: Things have to be possible. And the human brain is the, the one thing that can make anything possible. You know, if just everything, everything that we touch has been someone who's made something possible that was impossible beforehand. And, and, and it does, it angers me when people say it's not possible. We're not saying that it's not difficult. And we're not saying that there's not plenty of bumps in the road. And we're not saying that you don't have to really, really graft because all of those things are true about recovery. But it is possible. And it's also about, for me, it's making it really realistic and valuing the toolkit because when a bump in the road comes and we had a conversation in the last podcast didn't we about if you've recovered for a period then suddenly you find yourself slipping again it could be like five years after your initial recovered period it's the strength of your toolkit and then the strength of your internal voice that is going to make it so that you can then get over that bump So Mm -hmm. recovery is possible, but building your toolkit as you go and storing it in your back pocket so that the second you go into a kitchen and you suddenly find yourself, you've made a sandwich without butter for the first time in three years. It's like, hang on a minute. Where's? Oh, hang on. That's something's come back there Mm -hmm. that I've not seen for a while. And then you immediately get your toolkit out. Um, So I think that that to me is recovery is possible. And your toolkit's a really important thing to have in your pocket so when and if conversations in your head do spring back up you know exactly what to do at the point of need immediately
0: well I hope that served as an extra motivation for any of you that have had that conversation with yourselves with somebody else and and tell us tell us if somebody has ever kind of tried to have that argument with you and how you've reacted to it because have you reacted in the kind of way that we probably would which is sheer bloody stubbornness to prove if somebody I've gone wrong. mad
1: i'd have gone absolutely mad and then got dead stubborn <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> right. i'll show you i'll show you you see that donut over there yeah absolutely and um, as ever i always encourage you to get in touch if you've got ideas for a future episode or you just want to give us some feedback on this latest one and um, please feel free to get in touch you can send us an email to hello at wednesdayschild.co.uk Thanks for all those of you that continue to keep getting in touch either about the podcast or our other services. I do know that we're exceptionally busy with our ever-running waiting list for befriending at the minute, and we are doing our very, very best. The summer's going to be really, really tricky trying to match people. As you can imagine, we've got people taking um, a little bit of a breather off, befriending, so that they can get break with their family and friends, and we encourage that because that helps them to stay well and uh, look after themselves during recovery. So I'm sure you respect that, but it doesn't mean our waiting list is a little bit longer. But rest assured, we're still on it and we're always encouraging to, you, know, for you to get in touch and send us a message and let us know that you would like our services at a future date. That's it for now. Enjoy the heat if you can, or just stay cool inside, eat, drink, stay healthy and just be focused on your recovery. Take care for now. Thanks for listening to the Wednesdays to podcast.